This is PodKit, episode 30, The Earliness of the Future, on July 5th, 2017. And now, Cold Fusion and Confusion. This episode of PodKit is hosted by Brandon Johnson, Brian Mitchell, and Ryan Rampersett. This episode has show notes at thenexus.tv slash pk30. Hello. Hi, everyone. It's been a while. We Welcome are back. back. Well, our, our dear listener maybe has just listened to us, but... We're back again. Right right, right back with almost no delay. <laughs> nope. Which, which means we're on time, right? Yeah, just ignore the, the lateness of the past. And we'll enjoy s- the earliness of the future. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, how, how has everyone doing here in this uh, fine summer weather we're having? It is warm. I'm enjoying my air conditioning. For you listener, it is currently 87 degrees outside. Now, the joke of this episode is that when we get it released, it'll be winter again, so <laughs> everybody's going to be very confused. Um, yeah. Hey, confusion makes the world go round. Uh, not cold fusion, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Oh, that that is true. Cold fusion and confusion are awfully uh, similar. Alliterative, <laughs> yeah, right. Almost like the same thing. What? Hmm. Anyhow, as a result, we do have a lot of topics uh, to discuss. Uh, the first of which being JVM languages and frameworks. So I know some conversation about this is going on in the Slack channel. Um, yeah, but who's who's done what with with uh, with Grails recently? Uh, well, if Ian was here, he would say he did something with Grails, but he doesn't actually know what. Um, I've technically written Grails while, or not Grails, Groovy for like coding dojo, learning learning programming. Nice. Four years ago, probably. So, so it's probably not fresh in your anything. memory. I don't even. I couldn't even write a single line of valid Groovy. And I very I find that extremely hard to believe, <laughs> based on how groovy he is. Does it use like var for a variable, uh, Maybe? or does it like or is it does it have types? I think it's dynamic. I it, I couldn't it, tell you. It is dynamic. Okay. So you can pretty much do anything you want anytime. Unfortunately. You know, I'm told I wrote groovy when I wrote a uh, a Gradle config file. But, yep, that's true. But I, I don't quite believe it. See, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So have, have you ever, um, have you ever deployed with Jenkins? Uh, no. Yes. So Jenkins two uses a uh, Groovy script, I believe, to um, handle its deployment procedure. Hmm. Hmm. I know yeah. I've seen stuff about Java in Jenkins, but. I mean, I just use Jenkins. I don't configure Jenkins, so. Yeah, if you were setting up the build pipeline, you you would use the Jenkins file, which I believe is Groovy internally. Right. Okay. It has to be, yeah. Because yeah. it's a. Uh, usually, you deploy Jenkins on like uh, some sort of JRE. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, so I've been investigating JVM languages and frameworks, so. Uh, if you recall, a few months slash weeks ago, depending on what frame of reference you're in, 
uh, Kotlin was added to uh, Android um, as a first-class supported language, which was the first language other than Java to ever be added to Android. Right. Well, Kotlin is great and all. Um, Kotlin is statically typed and really pretty much pretty much performant, you know, as far as JVM languages go. Um, but it doesn't have a whole lot of ecosystem yet, and because of that, if you wanted something like an ORM, you're kind of out of luck. If you wanted something um, like a uh, HTML view builder, kind of out of luck. Um, and because of that strict typing, um, you, you don't get all the nice features that you might get out of something that's a little bit looser in its typing, something that's dynamically typed, like, for example, Groovy. Well, if you're going to use Groovy, well, you're going to use Grails. Mm. And Grails is Groovy on Rails. Very clever, huh? Makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, have either of you used Grails? Did I, we? Did we? Did I just ask you that? No, I did. I, I didn't look at it once uh, when I was at the U because I wanted to help uh, Java e folks learn uh, like Rails type uh, yeah. patterns. And that's the key. And okay, uh, here let me let me ask you a different question. Sure. Have you ever used Rails? Yes. 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 No. You've never used Rails, Brian? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh. I've I've only used Ruby for running Jekyll. Good. The static generator. Keep it that way. <laughs> and I've I've had to fight with Ruby enough to well, actually I've used Ruby for one class and in, in Morris, but only a few weeks. But never Rails. Yeah, so Rails is kind of the gold standard of hipster framework for web stuff yep um you know it was the first one and then everybody copied them and here we are today well on the jvm which is kind of governed by the java it has sort of a few options it has spring it has play it has a few others but nothing that is as usable as rails um so brandon probably is more familiar with this since he's probably uh used rails a little bit more frequently but you know you have your models and you have some controllers and you have some views maybe and that's kind of the whole story oh and also you probably have an orm yep and that well the orm is active record yeah 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 the usually yeah so that one of the things that i find really interesting about rails and can be simultaneously the both awesome most awesome and most infuriating thing about it is the way that you work with uh or or uh, could ostensibly work with any number of uh, databases when you build a Rails mm-hmm. app. So usually, uh, well, really the whole purpose of, of using something like Active Record is that you don't really have to care what database you're, you're working with. That's what an ORM does for you there. Exactly. Um, but Ruby handles this in a really interesting way, or Rails handles this in a really interesting way, because you can write models which don't, like, the, the way that you interact with your data in Rails doesn't necessarily map neatly onto any other way that I've ever done it in a Java app, even a Java web app, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you have a model file, and that can define any sort of computed properties or methods you want to have that operate on data from an object of a certain type. Uh, and the trick is those link up to similar like migrations that are that don't, like, you can't necessarily talk between them, but, like, the, the properties that are on that, that type are defined in the migration that creates the table 
that has yep. the same name as that. There's a lot of things in Ruby that happen, that, or in Rails in particular, that happen because you named things correctly, which can yep. sometimes be super opaque. Um, yep. But when they work, they work really, really well. And I, I think, yeah. like, I, I remember when I was learning Rails, I was like, oh, it's so, it, it can be so frustrating to find all these, uh, like, things that feel like they almost need to be named coincidentally the same thing. Uh, but doing so makes things work really well. Uh, but then I, w I worked on a project uh, that was a web app in Java, uh, and it used a very, very, like, uh, not not really, uh, a very, very small or not very popular framework. And, uh, like, having to create all, all of these things, all of these, like, essentially you have to create a file that acts more or less like an ORM. Uh, yep. it, technically speaking, it used an ORM library, but um, in my mind it was like building your own ORM, really. Uh, and in, in doing so, like, I, I really went back to missing Rails. So now I do a lot more real stuff. <laughs> but that, that's kind of yeah. what, one of the things that is really, uh, really like key to Rails. But, and then there are a bunch of other things you can do too. Like uh, if, if you're not really feeling um, like create, read, update, delete, crud style operations on your objects, mm -hmm. you can set up something like GraphQL uh, that still basically does that, but <laughs> in a different way, um, or in, in a different kind of way of defining what operations you want to do on a particular type, uh, and can like abstract over multiple data sources, and it's it's super cool. And really, the reason why stuff like that can exist—not that GraphQL is necessarily dependent on Rails—but the the one of the things that makes that particular pairing awesome is because of the way that Rails uh, manages data and works with databases. Yep, in Grails, uh, I mean uh, Ruby is isn't typed, right? And it's dynamic. Uh, it's it is dynamic, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Grails runs on top of Groovy, and Groovy is also dynamic, which means it enjoys a lot of those same benefits with working with data. So it doesn't really care what your schema looks like and what your fields are. It'll take whatever the database gives to it, which is great. Um, so like you were describing, you know, you make a model and you describe what fields are in it and, you know, it's really cool. Uh, it's really flexible, really expressive. Um, so in Rails, can you make like, um, like sort of like queries using the ORM? Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can totally, um, like pull out subsets of the database based on the ORM. I would probably use the phrase using the model, but yeah, sure. essentially yeah. it goes back a, it, it passes through the model to active record which handles yep. that querying so yeah yeah and i really like that style so that's that's what i'm kind of used to with laravel which is also based on rails yep. and so um grails has a orm called gorm which is g-o-r-m how clever and it's really expressive just like that it it can you know you can be person where age is less than five in a callback and then look you just got your answer it's amazing. That it's great. That's pretty awesome. Uh, and you don't have to write all of these weird hocus pocus, fake SQL interface things like you do in Spring. Yep, that's yep. another thing that I really so the, like about GraphQL, by the way. But we can talk about that. Oh, later. I know. <laughs> oh, that is that is an, an entire topic. I think for a future episode. Very true. Once I write, write it, write it, write it down, and we'll talk about it then. Yep. Because that's a good one. 
But 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 to allude to that future episode, I think the other thing I really like about Grails that I really wish I could have in a more Java-ish landscape is something called JSON views. Now there is something called JSON view in Spring, and if you Google that right now, you will find that it is all over the internet. But it's not the same thing. So the JSON views in Grails are basically templates for JSON uh-huh. instead of like html a user would see so what you do is you link up uh your model of whatever data you want to output um you describe whatever fields you want it to serialize into and it can have conditions in it it can um, query for more data if it needs to um you know it's kind of like a controller but for basically the template of the json and it's really nice it's really expressive it's um a really good um, way to simplify the programmatic nature that templates often end up needing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm taking a look at it right now, and it looks fascinating. I don't know if I'll ever get used to that property syntax. That <laughs> I know it's like you need to have a separator. name. You can't just put name, name value. space. Yeah, value. Yeah, yeah, I know it's really bizarre. I agree. So those were two pros, the the ORM and the JSON view support in Grails. Now I have two unfortunate cons. Groovy is dynamically typed, and the syntax of Groovy is so bizarre and alien to me that I really have no idea what I'm doing. Um, so, yeah. Also, it's not Java. Now, who could have predicted that I would say I wanted Java back years ago? <laughs> Ugh. Man, it just, it just makes you feel sick inside to say that I want Java back. That's all right. Oracle's going to sell it to Google in T-minus six years, so. Okay. Well, I don't know about has, that. Now, has someone made Java on Rails or JavaScript on Rails? <laughs> well, actually, um, I was looking at um, a JavaScript kind of Rails-y kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, what is See, it was, called here? I was going to say that HappyJS would be the closest... Hey, I'm using Happy right now. Yep, yeah. I don't know if I'm using it right. Here, let me let me put this into the Slack here for your for you guys to click on, but in the show notes for everybody else to click on. That's how it works, right? Oh man, that is a bootstrappy website. (laughs) Very uh, simple. Yeah. So, um, I don't. What do you call this? Adonis? Yeah. Adonis JS. Apparently, from what I've been told, this is sort of Grailsy. Uh, Railsy, Laravelly, but for Node. Hmm. Uh, Maybe. Yeah. I, I have never used it, so I don't know. So I, another one I was thinking of was Sales.js, but the yep. trick is the Sales.js project has kind of folded. Folded. That's another yeah. very. This is a very foundationy website. Sales. Actually, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they literally stole the octopus from Foundation. So so what so what you're telling me is we need to make our own JavaScript framework and steal the fox from GitLab. Right, exactly. Just take yes. take take another icon and theme from another project or startup. That's that's how you make a web framework. That's it, I'm pretty sure. Uh, just just change the the color here or there or you know, a little angle and you're fine. It would be super helpful too if we could find a way to bundle Matt's Ruby interpreter into our JavaScript-based web uh, web application framework. So, like, we just import Rails. Well, <laughs> and well, then, and, and, and so everything. 
but then and yes exactly so what 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 ends up happening is you npm install something and then it has to get the c++ files and then compile them on your machine for ruby yep that's using a yeah. compiler written in javascript oh my gosh oh, no. asmjs to the rescue what no node 8 has WebAssembly now yeah hey uh, node 8 yeah so that does beg the question then are we at the point where somebody could compile a compiler uh like somebody could compile a c or c++ compiler uh with mscripten or something and run it in a browser i don't um i don't think so yeah um if if it's possible i i doubt it well they just have to make a virtual machine for this that code to run on right that's true they just have to create they just have to write everything you know all the way down to the lowest level in javascript or asm yeah or I, or whatever I, I don't know seems seems like it'd be really really not good don't do that it would be not cue good. that uh javascript talk from a couple of years ago yes. yeah you see you see that's exactly where i want to go right like that'd be so I great i think we've it. linked to that at podkits in the past i don't think i have it in a bookmark but that's all right i've got it for you well dear, and while you're searching that can watch it again yeah it's a good it's a good good talk and i've actually shown that to people at work and they yep. they shudder <laughs> we i i went to gary bernhardt's conference the guy who did that talk and oh my oh gosh. yeah yeah that's so cool good so good so good it is an evergreen talk and he is an evergreen person so i, I mean the, the this particular video i mean it's a little bit old now um yeah what year is it from i don't know 2014 14 yeah I think okay. so. yeah. yeah it's a little old now i mean it, it could stand to have a little bit of an update but overall it's pretty great yeah so so a couple of random facts about gary bernhardt i'm sure he'll do another one and i'm sure it will take him at least two years he and i are uh, very similar in at least that <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah so he also very much uh is not great at uh editing hashtag content on time <laughs> <laughs> speaking of which it's been like four months and the videos from deconstruct are not up uh deconstruct being that conference that was what i was in seattle for way back when but oh, yeah. um, he said he says they'll be up soon. He's recreating all of the all of the slides from scratch. So he had everyone send them their presentation. His, his everyone send them their presentation so he could advance them cleanly for the video. Oh <laughs> wow! Which is like that is dedication. So he's re-recording the slides yep. for the video. Yeah, maybe yeah, and just taking the audio. Oh, wow. that is that is painful. Dedication though. Right. Well, you know what they say around here. I don't edit the show. <laughs> Anyhow, Brian, you were on vacation. Yeah, I was. I uh, had a two-week trip to Europe with my sister. Mm, nice. And I took notes of the final three stops, which were Barcelona, Rome, and Prague, after uh, five days in Denmark and Sweden, which was with family, so internet was fine there. So I, I of course, immediately noticed poor internet, and each mm. hostel had its own issues. Um, I started taking notes while in Rome, so my Barcelona stuff may not be ex- as detailed as I would have liked. So um, in Barcelona, or I guess each city was three nights in a hostel. 
So the the Barcelona one had four networks, all different names, but the same password for each one. Um, a common theme with all of these is it works better during the day and very late at night, so when people aren't on it as much. Mm. Um, and it would sometimes just lose internet connection. So you'd stay connected to the router, but you wouldn't have a network connection to the outside world. Weird. Um, now, in Rome, there's one network. I'm assuming they had multiple access points. And then they use Google DNS. I didn't check the DNS anywhere else, but I saw at least in Rome they use Google DNS. How did you notice that? Um, I was poking around at my phone at the Wi-Fi settings, the details, oh, okay. and I just saw nice. the IP address. And yeah. I know that's Google DNS. At first, especially, it was super slow with a very high ping. I probably tweeted about that i'll try to find it um so there'll be a link in the show notes or not time will tell and um so the slow high ping youtube sometimes just return no connection oh no um and apple i think this was related to it just kind of would go down a lot yeah and streaming apple music worked fine but sometimes buffered Uh, but other times downloading apple music wouldn't work at all I would sometimes have to re- renew a lease or toggle Wi-Fi, and I even once got an SSL error on some site. So I'm imagining they're doing some proxying, and they're, um, some something went down because I lost internet, similar to the first one. Then in Prague, airport Wi-Fi. The airport was nearly dead empty, and their free network page said, you are limited to 100 megabits per network on the free network. Oh, no. And I, and I probably got somewhere near that on a speed test. So that was great. That's awesome. Aside that's not really a limit. That's a that's that's a good limit. Yeah, that's right? a good limit. Yeah. So that was that was a good uh, plus for a few updates while I had lost my luggage for the second time in that airport. What seriously? Well, no. I lost I lost it going from Barcelona to Rome, and then lost it from go or sorry Denmark to Barcelona, and then lost it from Rome to Prague. But I got it back. Nothing was lost. That's all good. well. I only had to buy one new outfit. It's all right. So Prague were, uh, or that was okay when few people were on it, which was pretty rare. Um, and some requests timed out or took a long time to respond. So another high ping kind of thing. And it kind of got worse and worse over the days. And we got there on a Monday and left on a Wednesday. So I think that could be due to the popularity of the hostel over the course of those few days. And I just noticed in Prague, I didn't check a lot of places, but there's at least a lot of IPv6 in just their random coffee shops or whatever i was connecting to that's great that's awesome so that's uh that's my experience with hostile internet it it's bad and you might think it's good but then it's just bad so do your internet during the day and late at night yet in rome i was still able to stream wwdc that's pretty great nice there was quite a lot of buffering and i'm not sure how much that was me or others i think i saw some other people on twitter talk about issues it maybe was their Europe CDN. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that sounds sounds likely. So, at any point were you like so, like, w- w- at any point was the internet so bad that you thought, oh, I'm just gonna like get a SIM card tomorrow and and uh, like tether to that somehow, or was was it solid enough that you were like, nah, this is kind of kind of annoying, but I'm cool with it. I mean, um, it was. It was more towards the latter. It was a, oh, this is really annoying. I'm not cool with it, but I'm too cheap to buy a SIM card. I get you. Because I'm only there for three nights each, and 
So as long as I have the Google Maps in offline mode and I can connect somewhere to look up something. Right. And then, of course, you know, what stream uh, Twitter every f- so often as well. Right. I, that's all I really needed. Um, in Denmark, I did buy a SIM card because I was there for four nights over five days. Yeah. So that I thought was worth it. That I spent $15 and that five gigabytes or something. So that's pretty good. I just didn't feel like I wanted to do that in Rome, Prague, and Barcelona. That yeah. would just added up a bit. Absolutely. Well, yeah. But I, I did use my, my Danish SIM card in those cities. So since I d- didn't have roaming enabled on that account because I didn't like sign up with a valid like license or permanent residence. Yeah. So it just had no service outside of the country. So I was able to still use GPS for fog of world tracking and geotagging uh, photos I took. Nice. So it was nice. I wasn't in airplane mode at all. That's awesome. So if, if you had a, an Android phone and you went out of the country... I'm sure Google would suddenly start showing you all sorts of weird ads. Yeah, I had a few ads, but I think a lot of that was related to, or not not all of them, towards the end of the trip a little more. Um, YouTube videos had it a bit sooner than others. Um, I think any caches in a browser or things are going to more keep the ads English. Facebook ads never really went to be in another language. YouTube went over pretty quick, and I have ad blockers, so I didn't see a ton of other stuff. Maybe some Instagram ads, too, in other languages, but... Hmm. Traveling internationally. Yeah. Otherwise, I recommend it. You should... I'll take a trip to Europe sometime, or multiple times. Yeah, hoping to, hoping to go back soon. I haven't been to Europe for, like, four or five years, and then never before that. And I miss it, like, man. Like, London was awesome, Paris was awesome, Rome was awesome, all of which when I went. And we should, at some point, sync up about Rome, because... Uh, I have non-technical opinions about it, and I'm sure you do too. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk when we bike to take the North Star. Yes, that'll be so great. So, so, so great. Trains. Um, what was I going to say? I think I'm going to be, I'm going to try to travel to Europe every two or three years. We're going to see if I can keep that. That's kind nice. of the pace that I want to, I want to get to, too, at some point. Yeah. And I'd like to go with friends the next time, because I've been just myself with studying abroad, and I've gone with my sister. And I'd like to try the friend route. So we'll see. We'll see where everyone's at in a couple of years. Well, what's cool about going every two to three years, it's long enough to remember what stuff was like, but not yeah. so so short that you won't notice changes. Right. That'd be cool. Yeah. And I am and I will be going to Denmark every single time I go to Europe because I have some family there. So mm-hmm. I think that if I go more often, I'll know them better and not have to like re-remember everything every time. Right. Which is really weird because I was there just a year and a half before this trip from when I left after studying abroad. And so it was way easier to just get into things and I remembered a whole lot. And so it was pretty seamless being in Denmark again. Right on. Well, All right. So it looks like we have some, some notes about ViewConf. I was going to say, we speaking do. of places that are not in the United States. Oh, <laughs> uh, this place is so not in the U.S., it's in place I cannot say Poland. Poland. Wew. Yep. So ViewConf was um, in June twenty uh, first through twenty third, and this was the first ViewConf ever, anytime ever. Um, so ViewJS is big enough now to get its own conference, at least nice. in Europe. Yeah. Um, Have they had conferences in um, Asia before? Or, no. or where does Evan 
He works he, in the U.S. though, right? Yeah, he li- he lives here in the U.S. Um, but uh, for some reason they hit it in Europe first, so that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something something political climate something something. Yeah, um, uh, very much so. Yeah. So um, ViewConf was really cool. So it was kind of a three day event, and you know I'm sure the people who traveled there probably stayed a little bit before or after. Um, and they had a really nice, pretty pretty large set of speakers for a little three-day conference about one little javascript framework that you know maybe a few few tens of thousands of people have actually used um so i think that's really interesting so um the first video is up now and it's sort of evan talking about um sort of views history how he got to this point um and also what's really neat is it's sort of um sort of a milestone uh in the history of view um, speaking of milestones in the history of Vue, I found out that Vue.js, um, each major release, each major version is named after an anime. So the I, I don't remember which version, but um, one of them was named after Ghost in the Shell, which I think is incredibly amusing. Yeah, you're, you're a fan of that, I think. Yeah. I've seen tweets. Yeah, so I, I, I thought that was really interesting. So, um, you know, in the in the next few weeks, um, there will be a bunch of uh, videos coming out from the conference, which is going to be really nice and really cool. Um, and so I put a link into the conference page. This page will probably change between now and whenever the next one is, so click soon, because it has a list of all the people and what they do and the links to their GitHub and Twitter. Um, so you should follow all of these people. Yes. Yeah, basically. Um, really, really cool people, I agree. Um, yeah. So do you want to hear about my website? Yes. <laughs> yeah, so uh, a few l- long times ago, I um, I thought, well, you know, I really should... Uh, should really make a like a CICD kind of method for this website, RyanRamperset.com. Oh, yeah, yeah. So what I did was I leveraged the great work that GitLab has put in with their CICD tool. Um, I think they probably have a real name for it, like GitLab Pipelines or something. Yeah. But basically, you make this YAML file and you kind of tell it, well, here's a build stage, commands to run. Here's a deploy stage, commands to run. And anytime you push, and you can configure these things, of course, it will run whatever you want. So if you push to something that's tagged develop, it will run the develop branch uh, under this particular stage. Or if you push to master, it will run the build and deploy it. So what I can do now is I can um, just push up to my repo any changes I want, And within about three minutes or so, that's how long it takes to build roughly, it will compile all of the Hugo code stuff and push it to my remote VPS, which is super cool because doing VPS connections um, a lot of the time, so if you wanted to like do this in in Jenkins, for example, it'd be non-trivial because you'd have to break out of the Groovy script, go into a Bash script to get SSH and, and so on. So... GitLab made this super easy. You know, the the script file for this is maybe, I don't know, like 25 lines long? Uh, 48. 48? Well, it feels like 25 to me. Uh, Half of them are comments. Hey, there you go. Good documentation. 
I tried because I'm going to forget instantly um, about how any of it works. Um, so there's there are some there are a few weird parts about this though. So I'm using somebody's Docker image that I found. Yeah. Um, and it allegedly it's always going to be up to date, <laughs> but that's not a big deal to me. Um, I very rarely update and use new features of Hugo, so it's fine. But what else is weird is I'm running this script on a GitLab runner, which is basically they made some deal with uh, DigitalOcean to get like a huge server farm dedicated to this project. And so I'm just running on a shared instance that gets destroyed or created and then destroyed after I use it. So like mm-hmm. I assume it's like some kind of lightweight, lightweight container kind of thing. Yeah. But what's really bizarre is I have to install... Um, SSH and rsync basically every time. Yeah, interesting. And, and it's so weird. Um, so like it, it works really well, and I've actually showed this to a few people uh, around my offices, and they um, say that this is probably one of the coolest things they've ever seen, because typically to get something that has CI/CD requires quite a bit of DevOpsy work, and this didn't. Yeah, I know. I've I've only used Travis CI for CIs that I've maintained myself, mm-hmm. and so this seems quite similar. But this in you know incorporates Docker images and things, which is a little more than maybe Travis can do. At least out of the yeah. box. Yeah. Well, so what's really cool about this is, for example, you could even provide your own Docker image, um, and then you wouldn't have to necessarily install sorts of junk. It could just be pre-built and ready for you to use. Um. So one of the things that I was researching is right now that um, that website is being built with Hugo and that script. Um, but it'd be really cool if I could also put in Webpack, so I could have fancier assets and kind of uh, do some other neat like minification and SAS and stuff. Well, you can do that, but it would be probably pretty advantageous to use a real Docker image at that point. Now, does does Hugo support things like SAS out of the box? Because I know Jekyll does. You can, yep. or yeah. GitHub Pages has a bunch of plugins by default. But if you run Jekyll out of GitHub Pages, you can install or write your own plugins that support things like that. Yeah. So the problem with Hugo, so I don't I don't know how um, Jekyll works. Like, are there like program files when you upload it? Like, do you have any Ruby files? Um, I don't. But you have to. At least with GitHub Pages, you use you know Bundler, or which is built on top of Ruby Gem, to install a bunch of stuff, and then Jekyll finds it all. So it installs a bunch of packages that Jekyll uses. Yeah. You just have a .config .yml file that has a list of what plugins you're going to use and any configuration there. So presumably the the instance of Jekyll on the GitHub server does it all. Yep. Somehow. Yeah. So the problem with Hugo is because it's written in Go, it's a completely compiled and static binary. And so it's kind of hard, I, I assume, to extend support for compiled binary language. Right. Um, things yeah. like Go um, and, and executable. So I'm going to guess no. Because um, Ruby, you just run it on the fly, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and so 
you can do that with Hugo. You can just run the the little Hugo command, and it'll recompile. And it's super fast because it's written in Go. But the downside is you can't just add stuff to it. Right. It's not as extensible as you might want. Um, which brings me to potentially stuff in the future. Um, so Brandon and I talked, I think for some kind of Apple event or something, yeah. um, re- refer to some fringe long ago. Um, we talked about Gatsby and Gatsby is a react based, um, static site generator, sure is. but, but because it's in JavaScript, at least you can break out of JavaScript and do whatever you want pretty easily. And who cares really how fast it is if you have CICD? Yep. So that's that's kind of where I've arrived. So I've hit the threshold of Hugo's fastness, and now I want something that's more robust. Yeah. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, that was my adventure. Um, also on that site, you'll notice a couple of new elements, not just that it's deployed magically. You'll notice a very fancy-looking moving red ribbon. Yep, yeah. Yeah, it's, it has yeah. animation now. Yeah, it, has, it moves. That's pretty cool. And you'll also notice when you come into the page, there's this fade-in effect with uh, my name and the words below it. It's kind of fun. Does your name drift down, too? Yeah, a little bit. Oh, it's great. It's so seamless. Those animations. What what are you you using there? Um, So the canvas, you can look at the code. It's it's very simple. So the canvas in the background for the ribbon is pretty much handcrafted code. It's nothing very... I mean, it's complex, but nothing very complex. And then the animations for the words are actually just CSS tr- uh, transitions. That's okay. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Nice. So one of the things I learned about CSS transitions is you can't have multiple of them for the same element. So, like, if you wanted one to happen and then you wanted another transition on that same element, you can't do that. So that's, hmm. that's too bad. Yeah. You you just have to make one giant transition that kind of has delays and things, or so. What I was thinking, what I was thinking, you could do, and this is sort of hacky, but it kind of makes sense. If you um, wrapped the elements in divs that were meaningless, uh-huh. or you know, spans or whatever, um, you could apply shells of transition. So the first one is the most inner element, and the next one's the out next outer, and so on. Yeah. And then you could add a class with JavaScript to trigger um, a, a, a class on the on the next outside element to make the next part of the animation progress. That might work. Also, might be really weird. So, we'll see. Yeah, yeah, that could that could work. You know, I do believe there's a similar concept to that in React Native. <laughs> That's essentially well, how it's done. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because how else can you do it? Yeah. Anyhow, I think... Is it time for it might new be. Twitter followees? It might be indeed. Uh, so I didn't follow very many people. Uh, oh, I thought you were going to say you followed 2,000 people again. No, well, I still follow 2,000 people, but I don't follow <laughs> 2,000 more people. Uh, it's a good clarification. Yeah, you know. Uh, so the first one is Matthias, or uh, Matthias. Uh, he works on... Uh, the V8 JavaScript engine uh, for Google. Uh, nice. You all may already follow him. I probably should have checked that. but uh, I don't. I don't. Well, yeah. he does some really, really mm, cool stuff. Oh, my gosh. Pattern matching in JavaScript? Uh, oh, my gosh. I'm pretty sure pattern matching is a fake idea, and it's all regular expressions, but I'll just leave that there. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to... 
We're, we're gonna we're gonna have a talk later. Shots fired. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that that is that is my favorite uh, knee jerk reaction pun to any time anyone ever mentions pattern matching is that it's all just regular expressions. Uh, yeah. Which is why I have so many friends. Um, but uh, <laughs> anyhow, uh, he's he's done a couple of really cool demos. I kept running across them uh, as I was looking into some obscure thing today. Uh, and I was like, well, heck, I ought to follow this person. Uh, so so that is that is what I have done. And that is why I have mentioned him to you today. The second is uh, Tim Channel, who works at Mapbox. Mapbox is another company that's been just like totally positively killing it. And uh, Tim, in particular, is a cool individual. Uh, he's also known as Cat Dad on Mastodon, so uh, he is he is one of those people. Uh, you may remember our uh, Brian, Ian, and I talking about Mastodon a while back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he is like the only person I know who uh, who is like super killing it on Mastodon. I mean, there are other people who are totally, like, Mastodon rock stars, but they're... I, I don't know them. Uh, I just know Tim. Tim is very, very cool. Uh, and also, Mapbox is awesome. Uh, if I haven't mentioned that already. Did I mention Mapbox is awesome? They uh, contributed to a bunch of really, like, high-profile things recently. In no small part, one of them was the new Snapchat Maps feature, uh, which, you know, there, there are positives and negatives to that thing. But their contribution to it was written up in a Medium post recently, which I'll find for the show notes. Super, super cool. And then, last but not least, hmm. definitely not least, uh, De Facto Sound. These are the folks who make a podcast that I've uh, really started digging recently called 20,000 Hertz. It's just about like sounds in the abstract. So uh, they, they talk about things like uh, what it means to be a voice actor, uh, the Wilhelm scream, uh they had one thing that was about like uh a weird hum in like michigan and what caused it another episode on the nbc chime stuff like that and uh each episode's about 20 ish minutes long um really well produced as you might imagine because these folks do things for like movies and video games all sorts of stuff uh so it's definitely worth a follow one of probably one of my favorite independent podcasts Cool. Was there one of these on 99% Invisible? Sure was. Like this sounds very familiar to me. Yep, yep. If you That's... Yep. Which one would it have been? The NBC one, I think, is what I heard then. I was just going to say, I bet that was the one. Yeah, that could be it. I listened to that one also. I'm actually super psyched for your next Twitter follow me, Brian. I should have should have put that one on there. I've been kind of in a little bit of an AR kit. Uh coma slash funk but the kind of coma where you where that's a thing that you work with a lot this is a weird metaphor it's not working out uh but i'm super excited for this next twitter account so tell me all about it the one the only at made with ar kit so all the cool demos that people have been making using apple's new ar kit framework in the ios 11 betas and there's some very interesting things going on here um so that's been quite fun to see. I've seen a, that couple, is really a cool. couple of portals. Right. It's just, it's crazy how good the the matching to the environment is. I've only seen a couple times it even jitters out of place, which coming from previous AR, this is so much better. And I'm sure Brandon has thoughts on this because he's developing it right now, I think. Yeah, so it, uh, 
it's really interesting because the same environments that a lot of other AR uh, tools and a lot of AR platforms still have trouble. Uh, AR kit still does some weird stuff, but it is improving. It is improving like mad. Uh, every time we've had an Xcode update, it's made like a light years jump uh, in, in the tracking ability. It's just super, super unreal. Uh, I'm working on some uh, some stuff just kind of for fun that has to do with it and um, like n none of it is at the point where I'd consider it something that I'd uh, you know none of the personal stuff I've been doing has been something that I'd be like ready to put on a thing like made with AR kit because I'm I made the rather arbitrary and ridiculous decision to make this the thing that I use to learn uh, 3d animation uh, or 3d working in a 3d environment uh which is like ridiculously complex so there are like six moving parts in there for me but uh it's super super slick to work with even for somebody who is relatively new to all of these ideas right yeah all right and my last person is jeff nadu he's a developer on the coco api at apple i just saw a couple tweets of his being retweeted and talked about so i gave him a follow and I see Brandon either follows him or just followed him or already follows him as well. <laughs> just followed. <laughs> so I'm hopping on that Apple Apple train as yep. I do. Half my Twitter is about Apple development and I don't even do that. But Well that's fine. I mean I'm sure a lot of people are like that. Yeah. Now Ryan, you have you have many Twitter <laughs> people here. Yeah, so you know, like I'll go months at a time without following anybody, but then I'll also go like Oh, yeah, let's follow some people. Um, so first one we have to mention here is Syntax, uh, which is a uh, Twitter account for some kind of web developer podcast. Right. Um, and I and I haven't actually listened to, to it, but, and, and now hear me out here because this is a podcast, their website is amazing. I mean, it just looks so nice with this little player. Um, and so actually what got me um, to follow these people is the website um, I believe is coded with um, some kind of like React-ish kind of thing server-side rendered um, and it's all really like hmm, how did they do that? That sounds like something I might want to do. Yup. <laughs> Good old so, fashioned Next.js. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, right? Yeah, I love how you they're, say good old-fashioned next. So they, they have this on GitHub, the source, and their latest commit is just sick. Yeah. yeah. No caps. This is definitely yeah, so, a thing that my one of my coworkers and I would do in, like, five years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, I see that. So it's it's really cool, and I'm, I'm going to look forward to actually listening to it eventually when I get around to it. Um, so the next person here, Kyle Matthews. I believe is the guy who makes Gatsby JS. Sure is. So, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Brandon and I were talking about Gatsby JS, and that's what the next Twitter handle is, also. And I think what's really cool about this is that it's extensible because it's JavaScript. Now, nobody likes JavaScript. I hear crickets, um, but it's extensible, unlike something that's compiled down into a binary. This is very so true. you. You, you lose some and you win some, and I think this might be the place where it's a good trade-off. Um, so I like it. I think it's really cool. I'm I'm following both of them. I think I think Kyle's really cool. He's uh, done a lot of cool work here. Um, and Gatsby is really cool too. 
So we'll we'll hope that uh, goes well. Very true. Um, uh, the next person here is actually somebody I work with over at the uh, Kurgle office. Uh, Aaron uh, is a uh, UI developer there, and he, he's pretty cool. He knows React. Yes. And um, as of late, I've actually convinced him to start uh, trying Vue. Hey, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's nice. uh, it's pretty cool. Um, and then finally, I don't know if I talked about this person when we did our last episode, which could have been recently or not so recently. Um, this is uh, Sean Larkin. Um, and this guy actually spoke at um, ViewConf. And this guy is, is pretty amazing, actually. So he, if you type in something about Webpack, the chances of him seeing it are very, very high. And if you need help with it, he'll very likely reply to you. And he'll even talk to you about his dog, and um, he'll just say hi. He's really cool, really nice guy. Um, and he works on Webpack. Did I mention that? Oh, so I think goodness. he's actually, um, I think he's actually going to work at Microsoft, uh-huh. but he's going to wor- also work there on Webpack. So it's not like he's gonna get enterprised. He's going to be very enterprising. Microsoft is paying him to keep Webpack going. Um, sort of, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah, so so definitely follow Sean because he's he, he um he posts a lot of cool stuff and he's one of those um JavaScript evangelists that don't silo themselves into one like thing. So like he's Webpack guy because he works on it, but he'll talk about React, he'll talk about Angular, he'll talk about Vue, he'll talk about anything at all for any reason if it has webpack involved in it which is pretty much everything at this point hmm. so follow follow him i did and that's that's all i got right on i do have some late breaking news uh hey re- late breaking twitter news rather uh are you all familiar with tj holloway check um no uh don't worry he just wrote most of javascript oh my <laughs> So he has worked on such projects as Express, Connect, uh, Mocha. Um, hang on, this GitHub page is loading. Koa.js, <laughs> uh, Commander.js, and the Node Version Manager. Uh, wow. Basically, so basically all of JavaScript. Everything. Exactly. Yeah. Ba- yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, between him and Brandon Ike, you know, it's, that's covering it. No, nah, it's mostly just... It's mostly just TJ, but I, I get you. Yeah, you're uh, right. You're right. <laughs> suffice it to say, there was a conspiracy theory a couple of years ago that TJ was actually like William Shakespeare and not a person. Uh, <laughs> is this a collection of people committing behind his name? Exactly, exactly. Uh, but he has a new Twitter avatar, and it's pretty sweet. Uh, and that is the extent of the news that I wanted to share with you. <laughs> That I like it. Excellent. Oh, that's, that's I've good. I've totally seen that image on the internet before. Yeah. I don't know if it's from him or not, but hmm. Right. Nice. We won't describe the image for you, dear listener, because you're gonna have to click the show notes and look at it. <laughs> While his image is is still set to this image. Right. Like, what if it's something? So you got you. We wait, should you, we should link that with our web.archive.org. So it's always going to be accurate. Yeah. Uh, 
All right, I yeah. think that's all. I mean, okay, so what what's happened since our last episode is WWDC, which at this point, hopefully you're up to date with everything on. But... I hope so, dear listener. Otherwise, just tweet tune us. in for the tune in for the next Apple event, which will be in September. Yes, probably. And you'll hear me uh, talk about it, and very likely me also talking about it. And who knows? Maybe me too. Hey, <laughs> it'll be Podkit, but not on, but but Nexus special. Yeah, I mean that those are some of the best episodes, you know. Yeah. Yep. Well, where can we find you on the internet? Ryan. Well, uh, you can find me just about everywhere, but especially on the Twitter at Ryan Mar, and of course, on my new very good-looking website, which is at RyanRampersad.com, where I can deploy to it at any time, and it'll get there in three minutes or less. Fantastic. Nice. <laughs> well, you can find and what me. about you? Well, yeah, Brian, you should go first. You can find me on the internet at my website, brianm.me. Or my Twitter, which is Brian Mitch L. That's the uh, site that I'm always on and never leaving. So hit me up there. Yes. And finally, you can find me on the internet a number of places, fewer than previously, but still a rather large number of places, where I am Brandon underscore MN. Such uh, examples of such places include Twitter and Instagram, where I'm mostly. Uh, post about uh biking and using bikes to go places and occasionally things about software like how uh recently uh i was having trouble with uh the android emulator uh and when i say recently i mean always because the android emulator <laughs> literally suck. never works uh, yeah it can't even can't even begin to work continual and perpetual shout out to ryan for uh offering his uh hey his no problem Android phones for uh, my development purpose. That thing is killer, and I I'm love it. so glad that it went to a nice home to actually help somebody do something useful. <laughs> it, it is it is so great. Uh, me and my clients, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I am so glad to help. It's what we do here. Well, well, I think that about does it. Yeah. Until next time. Until next time. Hopefully that is sooner than later, but you know us. Yeah, you know. <laughs> you have no guarantee. You don't. I'm pretty sure, uh, I think during PK29, we talked about recording in two weeks. Yo. Or was it 28? We said two weeks. I don't know, but it happens, it and fun. it, it uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll come out when it comes out, probably before. Winter. These, I'm going to say probably before fall starts, before sure. September. Yo. Yeah, I think we'll. I'm hoping even maybe this month, but maybe not. You know, that's hope. <laughs> yep. that's too hopeful for me. I gotcha. Yep. All right. Well, well, thanks for coming on. Have a good one. Have a good one. Cheers.